Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about Noah's three sons and how they formed the basis of the human world and the branches of human life on the earth. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. All these, these evil intentions and thoughts and words and acts, and it was all now focused on one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the rainbow tells us of God's reluctance to judge and harm any man. For your need to be forever free from any part of the work of slavery in Egypt, verse 6, I will rid you out of their bondage. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study from the book of Genesis. Where Moses had just been sent by God from Midian to rescue the Jewish people from the Egyptians, to redeem them out of Egypt to God. And Moses had gone to Pharaoh and told him that God had ordered him to let God's people go. And Pharaoh didn't respond very nicely. As a matter of fact, he then ordered that the Jewish people were not to be given any straw to make bricks. And that new situation brought a lot of anxiety to the Jewish people. So God saw that. So God told Moses, bring a special word, a word of promise, a word of encouragement to the Jewish people. Turn to that in Exodus chapter 6, which is where uh, we were directed this morning. Exodus chapter 6 and verses 6 through 8. Here's the special word that God told Moses, you bring this word from me. You be the postman, Moses. Exodus 6, 6 and 8 through 8. And so here's what it says. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, this is, remember, this is God's instructions to Moses. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, say to the Jewish people, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out from their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you for me to a people. I will be to you a God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land. Concerning the which I did swear to give Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I will give it you for heritage. I am the Lord. Boy, those are, that's quite a message, huh? That's a special message from God to the Jewish people at that time. Those were wonderful words of promise, wonderful words of encouragement. And God essentially gave eight points. He's saying to the Jewish people, if you're taking notes, put down eight points. He said, point number one. He said, for your need for a powerful deliverer. Point number one, I am the Lord. Point number two, for your need to no longer be under slavery to the work of the Egyptians. Point number two, verse six, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so you just know how important it is to me. I didn't say I'm going to ask some angel to do it. He said, I'm going to do it myself. I will bring you out. Point number three, for your need to be forever free from any part of the work of slavery in Egypt, verse six, I will rid you out of their bondage. Point number four, for your need to no longer be the property Of the Egyptians, verse 6, I will buy you, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Point number five, for your need to now belong, to now be owned by a kind master, verse 7, I will take you to me for a people. Point number six, for your need to know God, 
to know who God really is. Verse 7, you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Point number 7, for your need for a place to now live, because, you know, you're going to be more or less evicted or you're going to leave. Anyway, you need a place to be for a homeland. It says, verse 8, I will bring you into a land concerning the which I swore, did swear to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'll give it to you for heritage. And the last point, for your need to know that all this is not just a dream, that it's really going to happen, he says, sign the Lord. He said, I am the Lord, verse 8. Now, those eight statements were a wonderful gift from God delivered by Moses to the Jewish people. Those are absolutely wonderful promises and encouragements to them. And the question is, so how was this wonderful gift received by the Jewish people? (laughs) How did they receive all these promises and encouragements and gifts from God? Well, the next verse in verse 9 tells you, And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. So verse 9 tells us, first of all, that Moses was, as he's always been, a faithful servant, a faithful man. He was a faithful messenger. He said, he said Moses, just every point, he just told them everyone. Moses spake so unto the children of Israel. And the response was, they hearkened not unto Moses. They didn't hear a word that Moses said. They didn't hear one of those eight points that Moses told them. They didn't consider any of those promises or encouragements that Moses told them from God. Why? Because why didn't they hear God's message? Why didn't they take God's gift that Moses was telling them? Three words. Anguish of spirit. Anguish of spirit. Those are the three words. Anguish of spirit. They let anguish of spirit robbed them from hearing God's words of promise and encouragement to them. They let anguish of spirit steal their gift from God. They let anguish of spirit choke their confidence in God. Because of anguish of spirit, they didn't hear one word that Moses had said to them, was telling them. Moses was telling them. Moses was saying, I'm telling you from God. And they didn't hear anything because of anguish of spirit. That's what happens to us. That's our problem. We have the same problem. When we get filled, when things are going fine and everything's great in life, oh, you know, this Bible's come alive, everything's wonderful. But when trouble comes, God especially sends the Moseses to our lives and with special words. But anguish of spirit causes us to run the treadmill of what's going to happen to me. Anguish of spirit causes a replay in our minds of all the different what-if scenarios. And then, just like the Jewish people, God sends to us the wonderful gift of the promises and encouragements in the Bible, and, or listening to Bible messages or friends who talk to us, and those are the rainbows, and there's God's, and what happens? We don't hear. We don't hear, like the Jewish because we've got the anguish of spirit. And we don't hear. We don't read the plaque in the sky. And then, just like me, you know, and, and so Cheryl says my name twice. And so stop with the anguish of spirit and start with the God. So God says to us, don't let anguish of spirit steal your gift from God. Don't let anguish of spirit rob you and choke your confidence in God. So that's the message. Now, we come to verse 18, Genesis 9, 18. Remember, we're back in Genesis 9. That's really where we are. 
<laughs> in case you doubt it. Okay, Genesis 9, 18. It speaks about the sons of Noah. It says they went out of the ark. There were three of them, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham's the father of Canaan. That Canaan, a la original inhabitants of Canaan, they were all wiped out. And these are the three sons of Noah, and of them, here's the key word, the whole earth was overspread. Okay? And of them was the whole overspread. With that phrase, we can see in that phrase the origin of the nations, or goyim, or Gentiles, the nations of the world. So chapter 10, the next chapter we're going to come to, is the blossoming out of this phrase. And of them was the whole earth overspread. Chapter 10 is like a giant survey of the nations. So, you know, the temptation for us is look at chapter 10 as the genealogies of no value. But we have no other account in, in the Bible that's more full of a survey of the nations of the world than we do in chapter 10. It's important. If you take the time, look at the meanings of the names, which we won't do. I have a chart. If you want to look at that, you can do that. And then the people who they all became, chapter 10, very important. But those three characters, Shem, Ham, Japheth, they were like the three main branches that came out and constituted human life on earth. And Japheth. So Japheth is the older son. He had seven sons. His name is Japheth, and it means to spread abroad. And Japheth is spread abroad. And Japheth became the people of Britain, and it became the people of Russia, and the people of Italy, which was very important in the Roman times. Anyway, and Greece, not that it's not important today, it has value. I'm not saying. Greece and Germany, Asia, all those parts of the earth. But Noah had a particular prophecy about Japheth, which is in Genesis 9.27. It says, God shall enlarge Japheth. God shall enlarge Japheth. That's a very important prophecy. Now, the Hebrew word for enlarge here, patab, it's translated here by the translators. Well, obviously, who else is going to translate? Anyways, it's translated here as the word enlarge. And every other translation you pick up, it will say the word enlarge. And it appears 28 times in the Bible. This is the only place where the translators gave it this meaning of enlarge. And uh, it's really out of context as far as the other places go. Now, why do all the translations, you know, well, somebody in the 1600s came up with the idea with enlarge, and uh, everybody follows the leader. I don't know why. Why? I don't know. But anyway, that's what they did. Because all the other places in the Bible where this word is used by its context and by how they translated the words, they gave it words like persuade, entice, so the real meaning of patah has nothing to do with enlarge. You know, uh, how did this translation get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a translation. <laughs> and because of this translation, all the other translations translated enlarge. Anyway, it has nothing to do with expanding or getting larger, like me. Anyway, the real meaning is to be influenced. The real meaning is to be persuaded. The real meaning is to be enticed. The real meaning is to be flattered or allured. Those are all names that have been given by the translators in other places. So putting that real meaning of patah here in the prophecy that's given in Genesis 9.27 makes the verse really read like this. God shall persuade Japheth. Or if you prefer, God shall influence Japheth. Now that's a very interesting statement because point number one God himself is going to do this work 
of influencing and persuading Japheth. Point number two, what God is going to do, is he's going to influence or persuade Japheth. So as for the great mass of humanity, or Japheth, or as Japheth has become, the great mass of humanity that overspread the earth, God is going to influence them. God is going to persuade them. So what influence and what persuasion is God going to do on this great Japheth humanity that has overspread the earth? That same God who is being referred to here in Genesis 9.27 told us what influence and what persuasion he was going to do on the great Japheth humanity that's overspread the earth. And that's in Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, where Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, even unto the overspreading of the earth, even unto the Japheth mass of humanity. That's the gospel. That's coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's coming to him who died for your sins so everyone can be saved from hell. So when we see in Genesis 9.27 in this light, we say God shall persuade Japheth to follow what the Lord Jesus Christ taught, to be baptized into him as Lord and Savior. God shall persuade, God shall influence, God shall persuade Japheth to be saved by Christians going into their immediate world and into all the rest of the world as missionaries bringing the gospel to lost Japheth. And these verses in Matthew 28, 28 18 through 20, that's our command to be a part of Genesis 9.27. We are to be the ones that God uses to persuade and influence Japheth to be saved. That's why here at the chapel, we've said no to spending money on building projects, that's very obvious, (laughs) and other church-related expenses. And even though we're small, we've given over 70% of our income to missions, traditionally. Why? Because God said in Genesis 9.29 that his priority and his work was going to be to persuade the earth overspreading Japheth, and we've heard that call in Matthew 28, to be his temples through which God will do that influencing and persuading of Japheth. So we can't go ourselves. Where we can't go ourselves, some of us can. We can't go ourselves. So we at the chapel, we send missionaries. And not just with money, but with prayers and with watching over them, monitoring what they're doing. Why? Because we are saying to each missionary the chapel sends out three things. First, we must go into all the world so God can persuade Japheth to believe the gospel and be saved. Two, We cannot ourselves, most of us, we cannot ourselves go into all the world so that God can persuade Japheth. Three, to the missionaries we say, we send you to go in our place to persuade Japheth and influence him. Then from the platform, what do we do? We lay our hands on them and we pray for them. And as we do, we're actually saying to them, go in our place and persuade Japheth. Let God persuade Japheth through you. So the point is that God has chosen 
to do this influencing and this persuading of Gentiles or the nations through Christians. And thank God for every missionary who knows this and is giving his or her life to the work of a missionary, which is to be constantly influencing and persuading lost Japheth, the Gentile peoples of the world, to be saved. Now, what happened to Japheth? What became of Japheth since Genesis 9.27? Well, the condition of Japheth today is what we will cover next week. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Because we're running out of time. And we have a lot to say. Okay. So uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being the God of goodness. We thank you, Lord, for being the God who sends us promises and sends us encouragements. We thank you, Lord, for not forgetting the Japheth Gentiles of the world as they've just gone off, Lord, in this wide, wide open world to the very ends of the earth, as you said. And we thank you, Lord, that as they've gone off, that they have not left the horizon of the knowledge of God. And we thank you, Lord, for how you have a witness to them in so many ways, but especially in how you send missionaries to carry the gospel to them, to carry God's persuasion, to carry God's influence on them. And we thank you so much for this as we've seen in this wonderful prophecy this morning about Japheth. Help us to be in line and in league with what you are doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dad, today you talked about how when Moses spoke to the Jewish people in Egypt, they did not want to hear what Moses said because they were anxious. How are we as believers to overcome anxiety? That's a very important verse in Exodus 6-9 because it shows us what anxiety does to us. It says, And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. What that shows us there is that anguish of spirit or anxiety is a corrosive care. In other words, anxiety is corrosive. So how, it's a good question, how are we supposed to overcome anxiety? I mean, are we just supposed to be passive and when anxiety rolls over us like a wave, we're just supposed to say, well, okay, now's my my turn to become engulfed in it and, and, and to just let anxiety steal away all the word of God to us, steal away all the promises of God, steal away all the benefits that God has given to us? Is that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely not. Or as Paul would say, God forbid. In other words, God doesn't say, well, okay, it's time for my child now to go underground and and just to be consumed in his own anxiety. No, not at all. And so the Bible does give us clear instructions, clear guidance for how we are to overcome anxiety. And the first thing, number one, is that we are to understand as believers, to overcome anxiety, number one, we are to understand as believers the extent of God's goodness to us. We are to focus on this. You know, when you read a verse that's, that is just so incredible, like Luke twelve thirty two, where the Lord Jesus Christ said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
This is an amazing verse. He says, don't be afraid. Fear not. You are a little flock. But do you realize that the father's intention, that it will make him happy and that he's going to give you the kingdom? You know, that's a, that, that takes away fear when we understand that God the Father is going to give us the kingdom, not for the fact that we're going to get the kingdom, but the part where it says the Father's good pleasure, that's how much he loves us. In Romans 8.32, it says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. See, he didn't withhold his own son, but he delivered him up for us. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our need. He saw us that we were deserving and going right down the middle of the road to hell. And he said, I will not spare my own son to deliver them. That's the love of God. And so in Romans 8.31, the verse before it, it explains to us, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who, who can be against us? Those words, for us, was in Romans 8.31, God before us. Romans 8.32, he delivered up for us all. And then that goes right along, as we said, with Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, it's the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom. So the first thing is to understand the extent of God's love or God's goodness toward us. And then after understanding that, we should next, we should next do the act. The act of what? Committing our cares to God. Rolling our cares, rolling our anxiety Onto God. See, it's not good enough just to understand that God is for us. That needs to be the motivation for us to do the next step, which is to commit. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5 7, where he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. See, it doesn't say, cast away all your care. Oh yeah, that's a lot easier said than done. But the point is it's on him. Cast your care upon him. Upon who? Upon God who is for us as we just stood, uh, just saw and just came to understand how much God is for us. So understanding how much God is for us then enables us to cast our care upon him because he cares for us. Lord, I'm anxious about my health. I'm anxious about that, but I cast that anxiety on you. Why? Because you care more about me than I care about myself. Because you gave your only begotten son to die for me. You didn't withhold him back. So I can now cast my care upon you because I know you care. And then in the next, in, this is in 1 Peter 5, 7, but what's so important to realize is that that's the same book, 1 Peter 1, where it explains to us in verses 18 through 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In other words, God bought us not with things that we think are so valuable, silver, gold. No, far more valuable than that. God says, I redeemed you with the precious blood 
of Christ, the precious blood of Messiah. That blood was as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. That's what was needed during the Pesach, during the Passover. A lamb. Every family had to go get a lamb, not just any lamb, but a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot. And it was the blood, the blood from that lamb that was collected and then put on the two two doorposts, the mezuzot, and over the top part of the door. And God said, when I see the lamb, it'll be dainu, it'll be enough, and I'll pass over, I'll Pesach over the house when I see the blood. That's the precious blood. You could put gold on that doorpost. You could put silver on that doorpost, and the people would, and the firstborn would be destroyed. Why? It wasn't precious enough. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was precious, dainu, precious enough to save us from our sins. That's God who did that for us. Therefore, we can cast our anxiety on Him. Thank you for joining us today. Now, as we've been studying about the life of Noah and how he went forth with his sons off the ark, would you like to go forth and follow God's command to go to the lost Jewish people? Would you like to do it full-time working for Israel Restoration Ministries? We have a full-time opportunity in the Southern California area in San Diego and Orange County for you to build relationships with lost Jewish people. So if you're interested in going door-to-door, going to colleges, going to different places to meet lost Jewish people, building relationships with them, please contact us today if you've got the heart to do that and the calling of God. 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. You can also give us a call to receive a free gospel gift to give it to a lost Jewish person to reach them. 1-800-247-3051 or go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.